Welcome to Happy Times and Places, a positively inclined Doctor Who episode commentary in which I, Toby Haydock, get a friend to choose a Doctor Who story for me to watch, and they're also going to pick their favourite things about it, and I have to guess what those favourite things are. Well, hello. I'm in a funny old mood, because it's my birthday. It's the end of my birthday. Not when you listen to this, so don't send me if you were so inclined. I'm not suggesting you would have been to send me congratulations, because the chances are, the way my release schedule is going, this will be released closer to my, closer to my next birthday, number 48, uh, than to the one I'm currently on the fag end of. Um, but... Appropriately this week, because what I do is I send out, you know, missives to friends and ask them to choose a story, and they come back with a story, so I strike that off the list. And then in their own time, they send me their videos or audios telling me what they love about the particular story they've chosen. And my special guest this week uh, sent me his thoughts on this story uh, a couple of days ago, uh, and I know about this story because it is my birth story. So I know that it was broadcast uh, 47 years ago, because it's my 47th birthday, uh, as I speak. I was born between episodes three and four. So that seemed like too good an opportunity to miss. I was going to miss it, but I find myself at the back end of my birthday feeling a little melancholy. <laughs> because, I don't know, as a kid, you know, the birthday birthday was a thing to really look forward to. And of course, because it comes hot on the hills of Christmas and New Year. Once the birthday's over, that's pretty much it now for me till Christmas. Um, but of course, a birthday, the feeling as a kid is very exciting. Uh, and as I get to 47, I still sort of see it as this sort of little haven where, you know, where it's my day and everything's perfect. But of course, I'm, I'm 47, so I had to tidy the corner. I had to do a bit of this and a bit of that. And my, my other half had things that she was doing. And I found myself going, oh, oh, is this... I had to walk the dog because it's a bit cold outside, and you know. So I'm going. Oh, I'm, I'm, it's not. It's not quite what birthdays were. Of course, they're not. Forty-seven. Uh, neither of my kids have come over. Um, don't live around the corner. Two minutes away. There's no estrangement there or anything like that. They just couldn't be bothered to come over. So um, I'm feeling a little, honest, a little melancholy, and I don't want to go to bed on my birthday with that feeling of. And I know what it is. It's middle-aged. It's 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 middle-aged not middle-aged spread is it that's my tummy middle-aged what is it midlife crisis that's all I'm experiencing I never thought I'd be 47 I still don't think I'm 47 I still look through the eyes of my, the 16 year old me I still know as little I'm still lacking in all the, the confidences I thought you got when you became a grown-up none of that changes it's just that the eyes well it's you, know, you still have all of the old hang-ups except you navigate them slightly slightly in a slightly creakier fashion um, and every time you get knocked down, it hurts a bit more when you get up. So what do I do when life makes life plays with one's emotions, especially emotions that are tied to childhood? Because, of course, you know, birthdays are a thing that, 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 that I think do always put us in mind of childhood because that's when birthdays were great or they were supposed to be great or that they were looked forward to. They were some anyway. Um, so what do I do? I turn to Doctor Who and why not turn to my birth story on the occasion of my birth even though it's 20 past 2 in the morning I'm making this birthday last as long as possible um, and so I'm going to get my special guest 
to I've, I've, I mean I've literally just downloaded this so I don't know if he introduces himself don't know what he says he, the, the form is what I tell them to do is to introduce themselves and to say a little bit about why they've chosen the story so let's see if he does that and if not I'll fill in the blanks after his introduction hello Toby thanks very much for asking me to do this it should be a lot of fun I'm looking forward to it my name's Tom Solinsky and I am a writer and a podcaster and a corporate coach. And your project made me think of a question that I've pondered before. If I had uh, a fan of the new series who'd never seen any Doctor Who from pre-2005, who asked me, Tom, I'd like to get into classic Doctor Who, where should I start? What show would I show them? What episode would I pick? Now, it's tempting to leap straight for one of the all-time fan-favourite classics for your Genesis of the Daleks or your, your uh, Talons of Wang Chang, but are we really going to start with a six-parter? Um, all right, then what about uh, Caves of Androzani or City of Death? And they're great, but they're very atypical of the show at that time or at any time, really. Uh, so, all right, well, clearly we're not going to go for anything black and white. Let's not run before we can walk. What about a kind of good, solid Tom Baker four-parter? Robots of Death, that would be good. Or uh, maybe uh, Planet of Evil, something like that. Uh, would it be nice if there was some extra hook? You know, if there was some classic monster or something like that that this fan was already familiar with that would kind of draw them in. But let's be clear, I'm not going to show them Revenge of the Cybermen and I'm not going to show them uh, Destiny of the Daleks. So what about a master story? What about Terror of the Autons? That would be good. It's the first master story. It's the Autons, which I'll be familiar with from Rose, but yeah, <laughs> see that, that CGI troll doll teddy bear thing does not look great. And that's always the risk. You'll show them something and it will have all the worst qualities of the mythical Doctor Who that we got made fun of in the playground about. So something which was a bit more on solid ground. The Demons, that's pretty good. It's five episodes, it's not four. And, you know, even after it's been restored, Rachel Clonity's not great. What about The Time Warrior? You can see, The Time Warrior's got a lot of stuff on film. It's a lot of historical settings, which look great because the BBC costume department could do that easily. It's got a classic monster. The Sontaran's never better. It's the first Sontaran story and it's the first... Sarah Jane Smith story. So we get to see the Doctor through somebody else's eyes. I reckon that the Time Warrior is the perfect old Who episode to show to a new Who fan. And that's why I've chosen it. Also happens to be one of my favourites. So none of the things I've said are going to be one of my uh, four or five favourite things. I haven't decided what those are yet. I haven't watched the, sh the show yet. I'm going to sit down and do that now. Uh, so sit back, enjoy, relax with me as we watch The Time Warrior. Oh, well, thanks to Tom uh, and a typically uh, eloquent introduction. I say I ask friends. I mean, I've met Tom once or, well, during one period of time uh, at Edinburgh Fringe. But it's slightly more complicated than that. He's, he's a very, very interesting guy and a very smart guy. Uh, maybe I will save my connection with Tom uh, to a lull in the story because I, I sometimes kick myself for talking too much before the story starts and then I spend my time going um, oh that's a nice ladder um, 
uh, or you know the big bobo and I go oh yeah what's interesting is which I think I've pointed out before is <laughs> currently in my head I have nothing interesting to say at all and I'm just buying myself some time um sure you're working Toby so look uh it's uh, uh Tom who will I know uh come up with some interesting things um he was the second person by the way in in, in the space of a week to ask but he was the first of two to ask for the Time Warrior, my good friend Dominic Woodward, who's a comedian. Um, I know this is his favourite story. And he went, can I do the Time Warrior? I was like, it's been claimed literally about five days ago. So uh, you wait for the Time Warrior to come along and to come along at once. So Dom's doing a different story. But that's for another time. Now, I want you to get ready uh, to play the Time Warrior in three, two... One. Uh, and I think this was my first introduction to this title sequence, which is quite busy. I, I, I like it because I like the streaks of light. And then I was shocked at how reminiscent it is of, of Tom Baker's because Tom Baker's Time Tunnel was my intro to this. And then when I started collecting purpose, I got the earlier ones. And I definitely know because I like the book of this. This was the first season 11 story that I got. It was the first, it was the one I fancied really because I, I, I remember enjoying the book. The book cover has surely got to be uh, a, a, a contender for the best target book cover. The, 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 the rendition of Lynx, I'm gonna commit now. Is it Jeff Cummins that did it? Uh, it's an, or is it Steve Kite? Oh, cue subtitle. Um, it's an excellent, excellent cover. Um, this is now Sheila Fay who plays Meg. She was in a. I remember when I was getting this. She was in a sitcom called Help that nobody remembers that had Stephen McGann in it, and uh, uh, it's it's about three three Liverpudlian scallywags, and and she played. She was the other regular. She had a cafe, um, so I was quite oh Sheila Fay from Help, but now of course it's Meg from the Time Warrior was in a. Sitcom nobody remembers, but she was married to um, Ken Jones from Porridge. Uh, <laughs> um, and I'm sure I will say a lot about David Dacre and John J. Carney as Iron Gron and Bloodaxe. I love the pair of them. It's funny because when I read the book, Bloodaxe seemed very much like, you know, second fiddle sidekick. They didn't come across to me when I read the book as classic Robert Holmesian double act. Uh, the uninitiated uh, Robert Holmes, the writer of this, is, is sort of quite famous for having, telling his stories with characters, um, uh, Garen and Unstoff and uh, uh, even Oscar and Anita, sort of the double act characters who, uh, of course, uh, uh, Jago and Lightfoot, characters who sort of tell the story by bouncing off each other amusingly and, 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 and through their relationship. Um, but I never had Iron gone as Bloodaxe down as that in the book. It just seemed to me that Bloodaxe was sort of, maybe because I, I like florid gentlemen like Jago Nightfoot, they're, they're more my sort of characters on the page maybe. But Bloodaxe just seemed to me like, you know, not very interesting um, uh, bandit type, you know, second fiddle bandit. But actually in this, you know, they are very much a, a double act. Um, uh, uh, and and, and uh, he has real trouble with his horse here, John J. Carney. Um, 
Uh, and this, this, and I, I love the fact the Santaran spaceship has endured. It's just a golf ball, but it's brilliant. It's simple and it's cleverly rendered. Um, uh, and of course, this is a period drama which the BBC does so well. So they've got all these costumes kicking about. So you know, there's absolutely you know no fault can be picked in any of this stuff. And even the beards are good, which is always a given. The beards and I assume the wigs. Um, and I mean, I could, I could. <laughs> I love Iron Grum's bravado. I love Lynx's costume. Um, and this is all, you know, beautiful. There's lots of film, as Tom says, which always, you know, I think at the start of the season makes you feel, uh, you know. But look at the attention to detail here. So, okay, he's got a translation device. He's an alien. It, you know, he's humanoid. Oh, so it's not that exciting. He's a humanoid guy with a with a helmet on. He looks just a bit like a war. Oh, hang on. He's got a translation device. Hang on, there's, 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 there's a suggestion of sort of brown leathery skin beneath beneath that mask. Hang on, he's got a nifty flag. I mean, in some stories, this nifty flag, I adore that. And, and the fact that he goes, yeah, I've just, uh, uh, the first thing I'm going to do when I land on this primitive world is I am going to claim it for my, for my warlike people. Uh, and I love the little salutey business. It's not a salute, but the, the sort of uh, chest thumping thing that he does. I used to, I used to, when I used to play as Sontarans as a kid, I used to sort of, I am field major style. He never actually did that, but I, I think I was influenced by that, the sort of chesty salutey thing that he did. So I'd, I'd thump my chest quite hard um, in order to make my feel, myself feel like a hard Sontaran officer. Um, although, <laughs> poor old Kevin Lindsay had a heart condition, so I thought, <laughs> I was unconsciously going to probably killed him. Um, I think, and, and, and look, at, I love the way he moves. Um, I love the fact that his, his costume is, you know, it fits him snugly. All too often, you know, well, when has the show got later on? Sometimes the costume didn't quite sort of fit as snugly and, and, and monsters sort of armour or whatever or, or, or space gear was sort of slightly wrinkled and that's what we do so well now with those sort of ripply chested um, whatever they're made of uh, uh, there's the stuff that you get on monsters now where people don't think they have body casts and, and they, they fit very snugly and, and, and I think we've, we've greatly improved that sort of thing that this is a you know this definitely anticipates that that's definitely what they're trying to do here and, and largely succeeds I mean yeah well it does succeed I mean I think the time this is a sleek and snug and tight-fitting uh, <laughs> and I because Iron Gron in this company is a wily fellow you know <laughs> in the kingdom of the blind he, he is the one-eyed man uh, um, but I, I love the fact that sort of links just sort of largely ignores but without being oh weakling earthling he, but he just doesn't rise to any of it. Uh, and I think their relationship uh, is, is rather terrific. Um, <laughs> it's a very grubby mattress that the uh, cream of the scientific community are being, uh, are being housed in. Now, of course, this is because we think of this as the start of uh, season 11, which it is. But, of course, it's, it's, it's in the production block of season 10 so you know in my mind i always lump it in with uh, you know what follows and you think of you know sarah jane starting in a in a sort of block but but no she she starts in a one-off um for her because 
I mean, this is this is broadcast at the end of the year, but is is uh, I think filmed in about May. Um, so there's a big gap between between recording and, and transmission. Uh, but uh, but I uh, I always rather like it when you know units are sort of called on to solve a thing, and so what they do is and it's sort of funny everybody in a. Uh, in, in a, in, so, so scientists have gone missing. Units uh, got to find out why they've got missing. So they they've housed them all together in a place with Doctor Who. Um, but of course, Nicholas Nicholas Courtney's only in this one episode. Then he's in Dinosaurs, isn't he? And then we don't see him until Planet of the Spiders. So, yeah, it's very you know very much not not part of the furniture anymore and yet they're sort of part of the show's dna still and will continue to be for for, for a little bit before they sort of fade away but I, that that sort of content i i didn't i i, I sort of you never sort of think of you never think of this period as the show of, as one with continuity um because i was brought up with the 80s where continuity became a marvelous thing and then a really dirty word but but you know in the 60s where it was very much you know lots of lots of different places different genres different you know, historicals to science fiction um you know the monk came back but uh, and then the, the brigadier came back after web of fear as you know colonel let's be sure it's brigadier but but it, but then when you hit the 70s you suddenly have loads of regular characters who you know who appear for the next few years and then that mode of continuity vanishes and then you get the 80s where they sort of just keep plucking from the show's past um and it's a it's it's our eternal conundrum as fans isn't it we 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 love nods to things that we know but uh uh we get really annoyed if the show disappears up its own fundament and i think the 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 70s do it pretty well. The unit era does it pretty well because the characters are there for continuity. We don't have to know too much about them. You know, we don't, um, you know, there are no, no big emotional journeys that mean that we have to, we have to know what, what the brigadier has been through to, to, to reference his emotional state or something like that. Uh, he does exactly what he says on the tin. I love Professor Rubish. Um, I love Elizabeth Sladen. I had a Doctor Who magazine which had the Doctor Who archives of the Time Warrior, and there's a picture of Elizabeth Sladen in her sort of Robin Hood kind of gear, um, and it was a it was a big picture of that accompanying the the archives, uh, and she's absolutely beautiful in it. And I vowed then to marry her, and like many of the my ambitions, I singularly failed. I'd never even met Elizabeth Sladen. I did get a signed photograph of her through the post, signed Doctor Who. Five Doctors uh, publicity postcard, but I never, I never had the pleasure. I love her. I think she's fabulous. Um, it was funny because my brothers and sisters always talked of Sarah as the one who screamed. Uh, is she? And she's. It's, 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 uh, oh yes, yeah, Sarah screamed all the time. I said, but but actually she doesn't. And so I, I think I grew up with her as thinking of her as, as I slightly dismissed her because I think for, for my brothers and sisters she was part of the furniture for them so they were a bit dismissive of her because they'd sort of grown up you know they were of the age when they were when they were watching um, and, I, and I remember as I as I gradually collected the older episodes just going 
she, she's wow, she's really good. Uh, and again, I my instinct is to not like the, not my favourite is not to be everybody else's favourite because I pro, I, you know, it's pathetic. You sort of pride yourself and go, well, yeah, uh, everybody else likes the White Album. I like the Beatles too, The Revenge. I don't know what they're called. Um, to 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 go, I'm not the same as the crowd. Um, <laughs> I hate myself for that. Um, so I, I think I was inclined to go, yeah, well, everyone likes Sarah Jane. She's everyone's favourite. But then you just go, oh, no, well, this, because there's a really good reason. Um, I watched Pyramids of Mars earlier today for fun. It's my birthday present to myself. Oh, Tom Baker, don't put a foot wrong. Dot Cotton and, uh, Alan, and, and Cat Weasel's husband. Well, Al Alan Rowe here as Edward of Wessex. Fine servant to Dot Two. Uh... Uh, it was also Jeffrey Belvin's partner. Uh, I will talk about those two as well. I mean, they're, you know, they're the sort of pretty much bottom of the credits characters played by two estimable character actors, uh, both with fine stories to tell. Uh, Gordon Pitt, on the other hand, this guy, I don't know much about at all. He's, I know he's dead, sadly, and, and, and died many, many years ago, 85, I think. Um, and he's an extra in The Wheel in Space. But apart from that, I'm afraid I don't know an awful lot about him. I'm sorry, Gordon Pitt, uh, and you don't get an awful lot to do here. Although your character is referred to later to have died in the cells. So um, it's, uh, you, you don't even get an on-screen death either. You just get sort of referred to in passing. Um, so I'm sorry I don't know much about you, Gordon Pitt. Um, I hope you're happy. Um, yeah, so Alan Rowe... Uh, he has been already in Doctor Who as Dr. Evans in the Moon Base. Uh, he comes back as Skin Sale in Horror Fang Rock, one of the great... I'll watch that over Christmas. I can't talk about the stories. I've been watching Doctor... Do you know what? Over Christmas, I've been watching Doctor Who for pleasure because I've researched it for the podcasts or when I do these, I talk all the way through it. Uh, and it was an utter joy. I did Horror Fang Rock, Pyramids of Mars, Resurrection of the Daleks over the past week or so, and just watched them. And I loved every minute of all of them. Uh, uh, I mean, I'm not blind to their faults, and I won't be blind to the faults of this, but I don't think this has got many faults. Yes, I should do a confession. I, I really like this story. This is one of my, this is one of my 10 out of 10s. Um, I don't think there's much wrong with it at all. And what there is wrong with it... Uh, I forgive, even though it's not a, you know, it's not a big hitter. It's a funny script. I like all the characters. David Dacre knows exactly what he's doing. If I've got an axe, I'll hit the table with it. If I've got a chicken bone, I'll throw it at somebody. <laughs> I love David Dacre. Um, he's, he's not one to be interviewed, interestingly. Um, uh, I know Marcia Wheeler, who was the production manager or AFM production stories, um, I think she'd said she'd suggested him to the part for the part, and I think she still knows him, um, and says, "You know, lovely chap, but yeah, he's just not—he's just one of those people that's not not interested in being interviewed." Shame because he became very well known. Um, I mean, he's always been on telly. Oh, he was in Moonfleet. We watched a thing at school. I knew him before I knew he was in Doctor Two because he was in Moonfleet with Adam Godley, who's the the voice of the monkey and chimpanzee in the Umbrella Academy. I only know that because we're not allowed to watch the Umbrella Academy because the minute the chimpanzee spoke, my other half went, we're not watching this. I don't do talking animals. <laughs> She's got a thing about talking animals. 
Um, so uh, I'm going to leave pictures of Frobisher around the bedroom, scare her away. Um, uh, and we watched Moonfleet at school after after games or whatever, because the BBC were doing Moonfleet, not the Smuggler's Bay one from the 60s, I'm not that old. Uh, and it was Adam Godley and David Dacre. So that's where I first saw David Dacre, and then I was pleased to see he'd been in, in Doctor Who. Of course, he's uh, he's Rig in Nightmare of Eden. So what I didn't realise when we watched Moonfleet was that I'd, I'd actually seen him in Doctor Who. Um, I love Professor Rubish as well, uh, Donald Pelmia. Now he was definitely suggested by by Marcia Wheeler, uh, and he not a mass not done a massive amount of telly, and he's not a. I'm sure he wasn't with one of the the, the big agents, but he seizes his opportunity here. Still going strong in his early nineties. I've been to his house. Uh, and we had lovely coffee and biscuits, uh, and he's he's actually slightly northern, I think. So he's not um, so he's not doing his own voice. He's not using his own voice here. Um, but it's interesting because often those characters are played by actors that you then see pop up in loads of stuff. He's done bits and bobs, and he's sustained a career. But he, I wouldn't say he's had the same sort of career as a lot of the character actors, like the the, the John Ringhams and the Alan Rose and people like that who crop up playing good parts in. In Doctor Who, he is in the Day of the Triffids, though the Ken Hannam one, the BBC one that's just been released in an abominable form on Blu-ray uh, with the wrong font and uh, 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 and treatment of it. Let's not get into that. <laughs> uh, uh, and and uh, yes, I think Rubish is rather fun, and I liked him in the book, and I like his performance in this. And it's interesting because they because well no, it's not interesting. I think it's interesting because the credits for episode one and four go Lynx, Rubish, Iron Bloodaxe, and they're, and they're double, they're, 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 you know, two person, two people per slide. And then for the middle episodes, Rubish gets chucked right to the end, pretty much, and it goes Lynx, Iron Grong, Bloodaxe, and they get single captions. Um, so they obviously didn't quite know whether he was the main, one of the main sporting characters or, 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 or and, and I think probably because he, he hadn't done a lot, you know, there's the, there's, there's that with the billings as well. So he 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 flits he flits to and fro across the credits for anybody that cares about that sort of thing. And actually, I'm watching the DVD, so the credits will make me cross because when they rebuilt them, uh, they forgot to put Bloodaxe and Iron and Bloodaxe's caption in. And I think because on the broadcast version they'd forgotten to put them in, or something had gone wrong. Uh, so that slide was inserted quite late and is therefore a bit shorter than it should be. So I think then when they rebuilt them, that caused some sort of glitch, which meant that they, it didn't go in. Nobody cares about that except me. There's nobody in the world that cares about that except me. And me, I care far too much. <laughs> uh, we haven't even talked about Doctor Who, uh, John Pertwee. This is uh, where as the, the late much Miss Terrence Dix would say his hair is getting very bouffant. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I love Pertwee having these sorts of gadgets. I, there's just something about that, that sort of way that he's, you know, he sleeps in the chair. I buy that the Doctor, that John Pertwee can sleep in a chair with his feet up um, and get quite a decent sleep. Um, yeah, Rubish has gone and he's left his glasses, which is going to be very important. Yep, blind is about without his glasses. Um, and uh, 
because of course Elizabeth Sladen wasn't originally cast as so, oh one of those uh, soldiers is Steve Ismay who's a lovely fella and he's the guy I always email when I want to find out about an extra from Doctor Who do you, know, do you remember Brian Gilmore I go, oh yeah lovely bloke didn't take himself too seriously never came for a pint though I love Steve um, he's a proper cockney character uh, <laughs> and and always sends uh, always sends a lovely email back uh, 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 and, and has, has done loads and loads of Doctor Who's and loads of other things um, so yes Elizabeth Sladen was not originally cast and for years it was a mystery because Barry Letts was too much of a gentleman to say well we cast you know person X and then and, 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 and the suggestion seems to be that John John Pertwee didn't sort of feel that the chemistry clicked um, and it's public knowledge now there's an actress called uh, April Walker who is in the Faulty Towers episode she's a great com comedy um, uh, uh, you know worked a lot uh, with a lot of comedians on telly at the time um, so it would be interesting to have seen what April Walker's take on the companion would have been but she yeah she didn't didn't make it didn't make it past uh, the Pertwee scrutiny having been cast uh but and interesting because of the way the BBC works, she was contracted to be paid for the season. But because she got other work at the BBC that paid a sort of equivalent amount, she, um, she didn't get she, she she did get paid, but she had to do another job instead. Whereas I'm I'm sure now you'd go if you contract me for a job and I end up not doing it because you've decided something, you still have to pay me. And then if I get another job, I have to get paid for doing that other job. But uh, uh, BBC worked in different ways those days, uh, um, but it was it was for years. It was a mystery, and it was the mighty David Brunt, who is another person I've never met. But uh, we, you know, there is a, a network of people that you can email and ask questions, and sometimes people ask me questions, and sometimes I help. I can help. I always try. Sometimes the reason I don't help is if I can't. Um, uh, and David found in the production file for Invasion of the Dinosaurs a slip of paper giving away that it was uh, it was April Walker. But for years it was a mystery. It was only when the, the DVD of Dinosaurs, I think, came out that that was revealed. Um, good work, David. It was, it's, it's lovely how there are sort of things we, up until relatively recently, didn't know. Uh, uh, and, uh, and, you know, there are probably things we will you know that we currently don't know there are known knowns and there are known unknowns so there's things we don't know we don't know that one day we might know um but that's why the archaeology of being a being a fan of this stuff that has such a rich history is so fascinating um this is peckforton castle uh so which is not far from here not much doctor who's been done up north i'm in manchester uh, uh and so all of the extras in uh iron Grand and black oh in I'll talk about Jeremy Bullock as Hal the Archer, who's entered here. Um, uh, all the extras in uh, in Blood Axe and Grunts Castle are, are locally based uh, actors. They recruited the film actors from up north, so a lot of them are uh, from Manchester or Liverpool or Leeds, uh, and, and some of them quite experienced. And some of them, as we'll discover in episode three, and I see him there, Steve Brunswick, uh, not quite so experienced. And when he opens his mouth in episode three, you'll see that the, 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 the ugly proof of that. Um, and I've got an amusing story to go with that as well. Um, 
but he gets a credit in episode three because he gets given a line but we'll talk about that when we come to it um but Petforton castle i went to a wedding there uh last year god 20 was it 2020 oh <gasps> it's like another world because it was when we were allowed to sit next to people and lick their faces and spit in their mouths and everything and i sat next to norna from frontios who was a guest at the wedding but i didn't lick her face or spit in her mouth um uh, and i was placed next to her because my friend's kind um oh what a cliffhanger what a mask it's a simple cliffhanger the monster takes his helmet off to reveal that he's a monster we knew he was a monster we could see he'd got leathery skin underneath i suspect there were photos of him in the paper it's not there's nothing in that that is a surprise at all uh it, or 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 worthy of oh elena edward and hal get a three a three caption gosh yeah it's a real it's a real hodgepodge this first set of credits uh, especially on the dvd where one slide is missing um uh, then alter that for the blu-ray but so but there is nothing in that cliffhanger on paper say uh that you know when you when you'd read it in in say doc 2 magazine in the doc 2 archives you know uh the you know the, the links removes his helmet and, and reveals his his face beneath or whatever that would make you go in any way well, that's that's a remarkable uh cliffhanger uh in execution it it's one of the i just think it's perfect because it's very nicely shot yeah alan bromley the director we'll talk about him um uh and that's reminded me of something i'll tell you in episode two it's a bit embarrassing um uh, for me not for anybody else but that, that cliffhanger i'll get to the, i'll explain this cliffhanger it kills me um the way it's shot i think the fact that it's on film but it's the turn it's the sheer well one it's the oh there's a mask underneath the mask or there's a something underneath the something i don't know why, why that's that, that peeling of that layer is is witty but it sort of is is you think well you know he looks like a metalhead monster guy uh, oh but there's something underneath and we're seeing what's underneath what is underneath is one of the best monster designs in the history of the show uh the fact that you've got the articulated eyes the actor's eyes underneath means that you've already got a performance going on the fact that kevin lindsay then decides to stick his tongue out and make links and the Santarans therefore sticky outy tonguey things which is just a very simple way of being a bit alien that does that doesn't look pony it doesn't look silly it's not it's not too avant-garde it's not too out there it's just a little touch that is completely believable it's the fact that links has got little bits of facial hair um people don't think to give sort of monsters facially sometimes monsters that's what they are they're a hairy thing but a, a, a sort of leather skin thing with a bit of facial hair i just think it's that attention to detail that the concept the design the execution i love that cliffhanger and yet it is nothing except for the fact that as it, uh, 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 it is more than a sum of its parts or because of each of the little parts that everybody brings to it it's absolutely terrific uh so i'm i mean i might choose that or i mean i or or do i just choose choose links as a whole um no i think i'm going to choose that that oh, how do i because what's what's tom gonna do i've got to think what tom, tom's gonna choose but 
he might choose something good. I'm going to choose the cliffhanger uh, 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 with the with the caveat that I might make it include links as a whole later in retrospect, depending on how how the rest of this goes. Because I think Kevin Lindsay's performance, combined with that costume, combined with that mask, combined with the the, the sheer impact the Sontarans make as a as a one-off monster and just one of them that they've become part of the show's history who I never think have been quite as good uh, as 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 they are as they are here and that's no disrespect to Strax and Dan Starkey who I love um, but I, I, they are a slightly different iteration uh, and I know Dan's very good at uh, and I know he wanted to do more with them the voice when he first came in he's i've done an interview with him where he's talked about this and and the tug and stuff that the director told him not to um and, and i think strax is absolutely brilliant and i love strax but i see strax as strax i don't uh, I, I think he gets his own subsection whereas the the, the sontar and, and strax is of course a benign character in in a sense you know he's he, he becomes a good guy uh, and he's almost a sort of sidekick of, of the doctor as when, when you're looking at the sontarans as a race and their depiction in, in the series as a, as a threat, as a nemesis, I, I don't think they've been better than here. And I think one of the really interesting things about Classic Who, well, no, I will I will talk about that because the episode isn't playing and I will get to a point halfway through episode three where I run out of things to say. No, you won't, Toby. Yes, I will. You, you never stop talking. I actually do, um, but just not when I should. Right. The cliffhanger to episode one is what I'm choosing. Uh, let's see what Tom... Selinsky has chosen as his favourite thing of episode one of The Time Warrior. Well, if anything, episode one was even better than I remembered it. It goes like the clappers, doesn't it? It, it can't be more than five minutes from the titles fading away to seeing all of those modern day scientists in Iron castle. It's so efficient. Now, favourite things, uh, I'm quite tempted to pick that flag that links plants in the ground with the the, uh, the two bits that just pop out like that. It's a beautiful piece of on-location special effects work. Uh, and I'm quite tempted to pick the fact that this is the first uh, uh, the first instance of a season arc phrase uh, as Metabelius 3 is name-checked just before the end. Uh, but it has to be the reveal of links. Uh, the perfectly domed head that fits precisely underneath the helmet. It's a wonderful visual gag. It's what the Sontarans are probably still best known for, and it just works beautifully. What a wonderful mask, and what a fantastic performance from Kevin Lindsay. Yes! Yes! Oh, go on. Could this be the one where I, where I get, where I guess as more than I don't? And I nearly went, I even nearly went for the one he nearly went for, didn't I? I said, I said, I like the flag. Uh, he liked the flag. And what I love is that Tom, I don't know how others have done it, but Tom is actually watching. I could hear the title, I could hear the title music behind him. He's watching and then talking to camera. So he's sort of doing what I'm doing without, without, without chatting over the, really, the, the, the actual bits that you're supposed to watch and appreciate. Um, so that's really interesting because he's not, uh, I don't think anybody's ever quite done that before. Never had anybody sort of fresh off the boat. Um, it's a great episode, isn't it? Great cliffhanger. Lots to talk about, as you can tell. Um, so that was episode one of The Time Warrior. Um, join me for the next one. I'm going to carry straight on. 
Uh, I'm going to make this birthday last as long as possible. But um, I don't want this to end on a damp squib, so I'm going to I'm going to stick my tongue out and uh, expect you to admire my facial hair, which has actually gone a little bit out of control because uh, it's been Christmas and um, and, I've, and I've simply let myself go. And now I'm going to let you go. Until next time, uh, thank you for listening. Ta-ta. I think you'll find. 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 The cover is, of course, by Jeff Cummins. I knew the cover was by Jeff Cummins, but when you say things out loud, suddenly your brain goes, Did you mean that? Yes, I did mean it. Shut up, brain. And it's a brilliant cover. One of the best. Go and look at it. Now. Thank you so much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydoke. My special guest is Tom Selinski, who can be found on Twitter at Tom Selinski, spelt as it's pronounced. I'd like to thank those who have come to my patron page for the greater glory of the Sontaran Empire, and they include Gary Wales, Adam Westwood, Rich Wiggins, Michael Williams, Stephen White, Mark Aldridge, Kit Allen, Sebastian April, Tilt Oriza, Simon Ash, Richard Alt, Martin Bellum, James Blackett, Robin Bland, Kyle Bores, David Brody, Hugh Buchtman, Anthony Carroll the Dandy, Anthony Carroll the Clown, there are two of them, there might be a third in a lockup somewhere, Phil Chapman, Susan Christian, Steve Churchill, Charles Coffin and Paul Colnaghi. The music for this podcast is by Dave Gates and the artwork by Dylan Patterson. Or is it Roy Knipe? No, it's Dylan Patterson! If you would like to claim my Patreon page and all its moons and satellites for your greater glory, go to patreon.com forward slash Toby You can pay as little as £3 a month. You do get charged immediately. Uh, And there's a 10% discount for an annual subscription, by the way. And as soon as you sign up, you get access to all sorts of exclusive and advanced material. Higher tiers qualify for a badge and other little goodies as well, but it's pretty egalitarian. Uh, It's pretty much a uh, pay whatever you like and get pretty much everything. Uh, And that's, as I say, patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. Now, many of you won't be able to do that or won't fancy that, and that's fine. Ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydoke is a one-off donation method if you'd like to do that. But, uh, frankly, the money is less important than the fact that you all listen, which is really, really gratefully appreciated. But if you want to do something that's free and takes very little effort, please rate and leave lovely reviews for these podcasts everywhere that you get them from at any podcast facility that you possibly can because that just makes my algorithms all the sexier and I really aspire to have sexy algorithms. You can also follow my YouTube channel, Toby Haydock. You can follow me on Twitter at Toby Haydock. And these podcasts, Toby Haydock's Time Travels, have their own Twitter feed, which is at Haydock Podcasts. Haydock, by the way, is inexplicably spelt H-A-D-O-K-E. And you can go to my website uh, at tobyhaydock.com. And I also do a comedy night every Tuesday night online during the pandemic. So if that's still happening, when you listen to this, go to twitch.tv forward slash excess malarkey. My comedy club excess malarkey has been running every Tuesday night in Manchester at 8 p.m. for the past 24 years during the pandemic. It's gone online there at Twitch TV. And once the pandemic is over, it will be back live. So have a look for it online. (laughs) 